Hey friends, welcome back to the No Return Turns podcast with Audrey Lakeman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host, and I am so happy that you're joining me back here on the podcast. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Every other Tuesday, we have an awesome guest come on to chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Return Turns pod with Audrey Lakeman Hunter on your podcast player app so that you will never miss an episode. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. I literally think that I only blinked and January totally soared by. Happy February, I cannot believe we're already here. It's so crazy, this year is zooming by. 2022, I feel like has set off so quickly. This past month in January has been fun for me to practice photos on my new camera and having a friend visit. What marked your January? Listeners, welcome to our 47th episode with Anton Atkins. I met Anton years ago through my college friend Lisette, who is his now wife. Anton is a proud Chicagoan from the West Side. I loved this conversation. As Anton walks us through his story, all the twists and all the turns, as he hones in on exactly what his passions are and the different ways he is living them out. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing Anton's story as he highlights his passions of community development and Christian development. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to him or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. Alrighty, here is my conversation with Anton Atkins. Welcome back to the No Wrong Turns pod. Today on the podcast, we have Mr. Anton Atkins. Hello, how are you? Hello, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. Awesome. We are excited to have you come on and share your story and your passions. Before you get started with all of that, can you just tell the listeners kind of who you are, what you do, just like, you know, a 30,000 foot view of who Anton is? Sure. I am a married man. July 24th will make seven years. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. Um, I'll be seven years married. Um, I have three little girls. Um, so I am the true essence of a girl dad. Um, man, 30,000 view. I love uh, music, musician. Uh, I love geography and history. Um, love sports. And I think uh, Leo Messi is the greatest athlete ever. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I got a couple follow-up questions. Go ahead. Um, what instruments do you play? I am naturally, or well, my first instrument is uh, to be a, that's a weird way to say that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a drummer. Gotcha. I've been playing drums since I was four years old. Um, and that developed into, when I was 15, I started, I taught myself how to play piano. And a couple years later, I taught myself how to play bass. Wow. So self-taught musician. Yes. Um, I don't have perfect pitch. I kind of have a very diluted version of relative pitch. Okay. So I can just hear really well. And that just turns into me sitting down with an instrument and figuring it out. So. Wow. That's, that's pretty kinda impressive. That's kind of how it went. Yeah. That's kind of how it went. And then you said you really liked geography. So what specifically do you like maps or like figuring out directions or what What about that specifically? Yeah, love maps. Gotcha. So when I was a kid and I would hear someone tell me about some random city in Europe or Asia or Africa or something, I would look it up 
oh, cool, it's over here. And that would then drive me to, so what's the history about this place like? Hmm. How did this place get these borders? And this city, like, what, what is it, the history of the city or this region or whatever? So um, I kind of get really nerdy about stuff like that. Uh. Example, playing charades the other night, <laughs> um, the word was Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I said, <laughs> I said, oh, it's a country where the Alps are. It's north of Italy and west of France. I literally said it just like that. I mean, east of France, excuse me, east of France. And the person was confused. Like, what are you talking about? And then I used some other clues, and it was Switzerland. And he got it. And he's like, how in the world do you know exactly <laughs> what Switzerland is? And I'm like, that's just me. I, I love maps. Just where things are, that it, where, you know, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Awesome. And then you said sports. So what yes. sports do you for like watching or for playing or a little bit of both? Um, definitely both at this age. A whole lot of watching. Um, <laughs> at, the, at the old age of 28. <laughs> at the old age of 28. A lot of watching. Yeah. Uh, basketball is my main. I can um, I can almost play anything. Kind of a natural athlete. Um, basketball is my main sport. I've played football before. I played soccer before. Before. Mm-hmm. I played baseball before, um, both competitively and for fun, um, whatever. But, you know, we want to get out and run. That's what I, that, that intrigues me. So are you playing any sports with your daughters yet? I'm trying my best to get them into soccer because I absolutely love soccer now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, you know, get a few kicks back and forth. And yeah. that'll turn into them picking up the ball and running with it. So... <laughs> Might have to turn into rugby or something, <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, they, my oldest is um, four, my second is three, and my youngest is one. So we got time. Yeah, yeah you got, got plenty of time. Yeah, I was got, just we got, curious. We got, time. we got time to, you know, figure it out that we don't touch the ball when we're playing soccer. <laughs> and then if we're playing something else, we might be able to use our hands. Might not. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. the rules are tough. Yes, rules are kind of difficult for some. Um, for little kids, there's no such thing as rules. So we're going to work on that as they get older. Awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what life was like for you uh, growing up? Sure. I uh, grew up on the west side of Chicago. I'm a proud west side resident. <laughs> um, I'm Chicago born and bred. Uh, I grew up to a single mom, um, though my stepfather was there in my life. Um, very close-knit family, Christian family. My grandparents lived seven houses down the street from me. That's so, fun. Yeah, so... I. I remember when I was a child once. I'll say that a whole lot today. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was a child, I called myself running away. And I ran down the street <laughs> to my grandparents' house. And maybe a couple hours later, my mom walked in like nothing happened. And I was like, how did you find me? She was like, where else would you <laughs> <The> run? <laughs> where else would you run? I was like, well, touche. It literally had nothing to argue against that. But yeah, uh, born and raised west side of Chicago. Christian family. I spent a whole lot of time at church growing mm-hmm. up. That's where my first friends were. My, my best friend to this day, I met him at church. Um, that's kind of where my love for music started, mm-hmm. um, singing and all of that, and um, um, learning about God from a very young age. Um, man, what else can I say? Um, 
Anything else like in your growing up years? You mentioned music and kind of like community that you found like at church. Was there anything else like in your growing up time, maybe like elementary school, middle school that marked your story or had a impact on your passions? Sure. Yeah. Good question. I think for me, kind of in the lens of looking through church, and kind of understanding, and, and, and now being at this age, the ripe old age, 28, <laughs> um, I can see things clearly than I did as a, as a child. But kind of growing up and understanding how specifically in the black community, um, how important faith is mm-hmm. and how faith has been used not only as something uh, to kind of ground us, um, something that gives us direction and purpose, uh, but it shines a light on the world that's around us. So... Uh, as a child being in in church or even going to school, kind of even with the route going to school, um, kind of just on my block even or in my, my particular neighborhood, uh, just kind of seeing what's around me. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up uh, in North Lawndale, still live in North Lawndale, <laughs> and we don't have a grocery store in North Lawndale. So mm-hmm. it's, in, uh, it's a food desert. Yeah, there is one sit-down restaurant. Can you explain? Because some of the uh, listeners might not know exactly what the term "food desert" means. Sure, Could you explain um, that? food desert, um, in a very loose definition, just describes an area that that does not have any fresh produce or fruits and vegetables count as produce, mm-hmm. but no, no, no fresh produce available for purchase. No goods like that. Gotcha. That are readily available. Uh, everything is an import. It comes from somewhere else to your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's North Lawndale. That's a few other um, locations on the west side. That's a few other locations on the south side even. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing things like that where, oh, we're going to the grocery store, but we have to travel somewhere else to it. Mm-hmm. We're going out to eat. There's nowhere in our neighborhood to sit down to have a, a meal, have a dinner you know, together. Mm-hmm. Um, you're passing by different places going home. Um, wow, this is a rundown building. It's been that way since I can't remember. And this is probably 11-year-old Anton saying that. Yeah. So imagine 22-year-old or 28-year-old Anton saying, wow, that same building is there in that same condition. Mm-hmm. Um, you see those things as a child. And uh, being my mind, because I'm, I'm the same way now, I, I want to know how something works. Yeah. A stove. How does that work? Mm-hmm. How, how does fire get in here? Um, and heat this up like how how, how does it work um, and that's kind of how my mind just traveled as a child even uh, until now I think that's kind of where my passions are as far as me understanding kind of the world that's around us mm-hmm. understanding a very small amount of that how right you know and trying to uh, do my role and play my part in explaining that one and changing that too and I think um, just with my life as a child and even in, uh, even through my faith, through song, through sermons, uh, through connections with other people in other communities, things just make sense. They start to make sense and they start to shape and form my thoughts, my ideals, my passions, vision for life, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I want to pivot back a little bit to your story. I I mean, though, this is a big part of your story and I'm sure it'll come up again. So when you were in high school, were you still interested in the same kind of things you were growing up 
or did some different things happen to kind of shift your passions or was it still kind of you talked about music church community and your community in general did you still find those passions the same or were you kind of being exposed to different passions and things in your story yeah for for high school i'll say my passions and and my i'll I'll call i'll use this term my knowledgeable passion so Mm -hmm. things that i knew you know on my mind I remember when I was a child, I told my mother, I want my name to be known in China. I remember telling her that (laughs) I I was probably six or seven years old. I remember telling her, like, I want people in China to know who Anton Atkins is. I got I kind of went to high school with that same mentality. Like, this is my chance. And I I went to here in Chicago. um, It's a school called Lane Tech. It is the biggest school in all of Illinois. Actually, fun fact, my okay. grandfather also graduated Gra- from there. Graduate, he's a great man. And yeah. I've never met him, but I know where <laughs> he was groomed. Uh, Lane is Lane has a population of about 4,500 students. Each graduating class has about an average of 1,000 a, a kids or so. So kind of big. So yeah, <laughs> kind of big, you know, not, not crazy, kind of big. Um, it's also the most diverse school in all of Illinois, all of Chicago. Um, so that was my opportunity to, wow, big fish. Well, not, not big fish, big, <laughs> huge bowl. Yeah. I'm a small fish. very small fish right now. <laughs> How can I become something, you know? Yeah. How can I walk these halls and, and people recognize me? The best, one of my attributes as a person, I'm determined. Um, that can be good or bad, depending on what it is. So like stories there that when I was little, there, there were athletic teams I didn't qualify for because I wasn't the right age. I wasn't in the correct grade or something like that. But I can talk my way into anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm determined. I, I'll prove to you I can do it. If I want to do something, I'm, I'm going to find all the avenues to get there. I'm going to do that here in high school. So my, my focus was athletics. Okay. Best thing that I'm, I'm good at is basketball. All right. We have our sport. I was a, as the term goes, I was a band geek too. What does that mean? So I, I was a band <laughs> student. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was in band four oh, years. Oh, I misheard you. I thought you said I'm a, I'm a bangy too. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that means for basketball term. Oh, band geek. Sorry. Gotcha, gotcha. I was a band geek. I was a four year band student. I was okay. actually in two different bands for three of those years. Like marching band. Or I was jazz in marching band. band for two years. Uh huh. Um, even though I never marched, <laughs> I was in I was auxiliary percussion. I played marimba. Okay. Um, I was in jazz band for three years. I was in concert band for four years. Wow. So, the Anton who eventually became like, oh, he's our best player. We used to also be in, in, in the band. Um, a coach of mine, my sophomore year, actually literally took me from band practice. I was on the drum line. He took me from band practice to basketball practice. He said, you don't have time for this. Wow. <laughs> You're just like being pulled every way. Yeah. He said, you don't have time for this. This is a waste of your time. You have better things to do. He, that's literally what he said. I'll never wow. forget it. That was my, my idea of my passion. I was going to be the top athlete here. Um, not to brag, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs> humble brag. Uh, humble brag, but I was. Yeah. Um, I, I was, yeah, I, I, I achieved my goal. I was best athlete. 
I was fortunate enough to have my name in the paper a few times. Oh, Anton Atkins did this. He scored that. Whatever. Recognizes Making this. Making his name known. I was on the All-City team before. You know, I did all of that. But being in high school, being 5'8", gets you, <laughs> get you far. You didn't keep growing after that? <laughs> no, did not keep going. Didn't get you far. So when it comes to college offers and such, they were extremely slim. I was determined, like I, I ex- explained before, but... I didn't like to practice and all of that. I just, mm-hmm. I'm when it's time to perform, you're ready. You can always count on me. I might not do all the back work, but <laughs> when it's time to, hey, people are here and they're paying attention, and um, this this counts. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll perform always. Gotcha. You know whatever it is. Do you know the Enneagram? Yes, I do. I am an eight. Okay, an eight. I was thinking maybe, because uh, eight's the challenger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's me. And All I day. was thinking also, too, because you just kept saying perform. I think the three is the performer as well. Uh, I don't know what that well, but I'm totally an eight. Yeah. If you, if I mean, you... I can I can definitely see an eight in you, but I was also, when you just said perform, perform, I was thinking, hmm, uh, maybe yeah. a little three. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on kind of the definition, but like, if you read an eight, I felt like I just... Like, who, like, how would you know that about me? Like, yeah. I never interviewed with you. Like, how are you describing me that well? But it yeah, fits you to a T. Totally innate. But yeah, in, in grammar school to high school, <clears throat> excuse me, grammar school to high school, for me, it was all about just kind of being known. I cared about being popular mm-hmm. and... So were you like on the homecoming court situation, like prom king? I did run for uh, prom king my senior year. Uh-huh. Didn't go well. Oh. I think I finished second in voting okay i mean you didn't win but you didn't were up win. there yeah yeah you know you're like the prince yeah yeah i mean <laughs> i don't even think we do we didn't even do that i finished either second or like me i finished either third or second and me and whoever it was in second like was probably that big or whatever i didn't didn't win tried to win most athletic senior year i lost that i was second. i was definitely second in that that one i, I went for a lot of different things um but yeah no, i mean nothing came from it yeah. You know, what is uh, the, the the term from the movie is a hero is none but a sandwich. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, can you unpack that? I've never <laughs> heard that before. <laughs> uh, I'm forgetting the name of the movie, but it's essentially saying, um, hey, people who try to play the hero and save the day, like a hero, is, it's, a, it's literally a club sandwich. Okay. Yeah, like, okay, hero is nothing but a sandwich at the end of the day. Like, you, you get nothing from it. Nothing comes from it. It's nothing super important about being a hero. Wow, I haven't yeah. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, now I'm gonna have to Google that later. <laughs> yeah, you have to when you find it, you'll watch the clip and you you you'll get it. It's um, definitely one of those. I don't think it's a complete American idiom, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh, it's definitely from a movie. It's a thing, and I'm like, okay, I get that. Yeah, no, <laughs> nothing came from this, but yeah, my knowledgeable passions. That's what it was. So besides being, I mean, I assume you're probably like pretty well known because, you know, like you have to be pretty well known to get like second place in Mm -hmm. most of the things and have your coach pulling you out of band and stuff. At a 4,500 student school. Yeah. So what were you in your senior year? What were you thinking? Were you, did you know if you wanted to go to college? Did you know, were you thinking maybe taking a gap year? Did you know like what you wanted to go to school for or still like a little unsure still yeah. waiting for the you know athletic offers to come right? in the bands to just <laughs> call you it was difficult for me because as a child out and it sits with me to this day my mother said 
it's important, and these are her words. She said, it's important for you all to, my brother and I have mm-hmm. one, uh, one brother, at least from my mom um, and my father, one older brother, he's a year older than me. Um, she told us, she said, it's important for you all to be well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Don't get stuck into one thing. Be good at a lot of things. As a kid, I really took that to heart. Yeah, I um, can see that. I don't understand how, but you know, maybe it's because my mother told me. Mm-hmm. But I took that to heart. Be well-rounded. So for me, it was okay that I didn't get A's mm-hmm. in school. I understood what was being taught to me. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Yeah. Um, and wasn't just good at this sport. I was good at playing these other ones also. Thinking about college. I think that hindered me because it was, all right, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I love sports. I can talk. I can write a little bit. So says my English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I can write a little bit. Hey, sports journalism sounds great. Yeah. Because back in 2011, sports media, as far as talking, wasn't super huge. Podcasting wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, you know, these avenues are there print journalism was kind of on its way out the door mm-hmm. um but you know that that's an option music i was offered to be on the all city jazz uh, jazz team a couple years and i turned it down because of my focus was basketball so mm-hmm. hey my senior year you know i can maybe get on that and make the connections and network or whatever i can go and try to be a professional musician you're a good enough drummer, you know, mm-hmm. can play piano a little bit. You can figure it out as you go along. Maybe you can go to school for this. That was a thing. Hey, you love history. Maybe you can go and teach or something like that. So I was thinking about all of those things at the same time. Hey, you're kind of recognized when it comes to athletics. So your track coach has been hounding you for four years now. Maybe you should run track and, <laughs> you know, get some money in that, uh, go to, you know, to go to school. Yeah. Um, I think when I was 18, I could run a 40 yard dash in about 4.6 seconds. Sounds pretty fast to me. Yeah. So, something like that, you know, maybe so again, well-rounded, all of these options are there, but like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You got to pick one. You have to pick one. Or uh, kind of at least narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pick one. So in graduating, I was like, all right, I end up going to my, and we'll get into this story. My first uh, university that I mm-hmm. went to, Aurora University, I was there to play basketball and I got a scholarship and all of that to go there to mm-hmm. play basketball. It was going well-ish. Yeah. Um, I didn't officially play one game in, in college. I didn't play one game. Wow. Yeah, because I thought of the great Isaiah Thomas, Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas, who played for the Detroit Pistons. He said he knew it was time to retire when he didn't want to go to practice anymore. He said he was at his home, sitting by the pool. He looked at his watch. He said, it was time to practice. go to practice. I didn't want to do that anymore. So he said he called and said, I'm going to retire. Wow. That was a thought that went through my mind. I had practice one day in my dorm, and I was like, I don't want to go. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. So I, re- I, like, I love to say I retired. <laughs> <laughs> Did you call up your coach and say, I'm retiring? I went, I, I went and met with him, and I told uh, Coach Lancaster, I said, yeah, I'm going to take this year off. You know, I want to focus on school. Uh, you know, this transition has been rough for me, but that was maybe a half truth. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just want to focus. He's like, sure, I understand. You know, okay. that's important. This might be kind of a culture shock for you. 
really wasn't. Kind of was. The um, suburbs. Yes, the suburbs <laughs> of Chicago, which is a whole other life and world within itself. That and, like, co- the rigors of college. And I'm like, yeah, you know, all of those things. And it's like, <laughs> okay, great. We'll redshirt you this year. And we'll, we'll, next summer, we'll have this conversation again. Okay. He had his own plan and I had mine. I was finished. Mm-hmm. I, I was done. And then finishing out that year, I had a kind of talk with myself. Okay, Anton, you you were at this first school and you were there for communication because you said that you were going to take the route of journalism. Mm-hmm. I was at a small, for those who don't know what Aurora University is, it's a small D3 school. I think they have maybe about 2,000 or something students. You're not going to the NBA off of that, especially being 5'8". <laughs> it's not gonna, Probably not. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. 5'8", 160, 61 pounds, whatever I was back then, it's not going to happen. But I'm like, I that was my way to get into college, but the career path going from that was sports journalism. Mm-hmm. I was uh, their major in the in, um, communication field. They were trying to get a podcast going. Oh, that's cool. Didn't really know what podcasts were at the time, you know? Yeah, we're like, hit record and (laughs) post to somewhere. So I, you know, I gave a few episodes. I don't know to this day if it's been published ever. (laughs) Um, But I was, I think that summer I realized, I don't want to do this either. Mm -hmm. What's next? All right, let's try something else you're good at. I transferred myself from Aurora University to one of the city colleges, Hill Washington College. Um, from there, I was going to try out music. Okay. You know what? Music, you're still a good drummer, you know? Um, I got a scholarship to go there. So I was in their, um, their music program. I was in the jazz band. We played in different parts of the city often. It was super cool. Yeah. My teacher was um, a musician who's, he's done it all. He's, he's recorded. He's done the tours, whatever, you know. I'm like, oh, great, cool. great program. Um, I have people I can learn from, and I have other people that I can do this thing with. I was there for a year. Kind of ran into the same problem I had as far as playing basketball. Oh, no. Hey, I'm tired of going into this room and practicing. I'm sick of this. I'm not even a by-myself thing, but it's just the rigors of, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm, yeah. Like, And as a kid, I, I had a, I would, my, um, I, how, how can I say it? Um. As a kid, I loved the idea of being a touring musician. Mm. Still love the idea. Like, to go on a tour as a musician sounds great to me. Well, like, it's like two two of your passions, music and traveling, yes, like, geography. Like, like, I never thought about it that way, Audrey. Yeah, you that makes sense. My, <laughs> literally just opened my mind. That's totally a way of combining those two. My good friend from, from, from church, that my best friend to this day, he, he's a singer. Mm-hmm. He had the opp- the opportunity to go with Beyonce and Jay Z on their on the run tour, on the run to tour. Wow! He went with them their world tour. He was a a backup singer there. He went to India, to Italy, to France, to Great Britain. That's all across like a the United great States. Resume builder. Oh, awesome! <laughs> he's he's um, and I'm like, man, like that's what we both wanted to do as as yeah. kids. I'm you know. Super thankful he got to live it out, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was like, man, it's so great. So, being this twenty-year-old kid now here in Washington, I'm trying to see that. Then, ah, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is my time. I can do this now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired of practicing. I don't want to do this anymore. 
<laughs> a, a day of reckoning came um, where actually I'll even go to before I kind of got there in that place at Harold Washington. I'll never, never forget the day I was back at the Royal University in my dorm by myself. And I just had a moment where I like to describe it where God cornered me. Oh. And essentially like, you can't run from this anymore. What is this? Um, I've probably known like my whole entire life, but I always ran from it. And to describe it before I say what it is, in the black community, we, especially specifically in the black church, we understand, we understand being a pastor or any form of being a minister is a calling. Mm-hmm. I knew from a kid I was called to be a minister from as a child. I, I knew that. But you were trying everything else. Everything to get away from that. I didn't, God, I didn't want to do it. Now that makes a lot of sense in like, hearing the other parts of your story. I, I didn't want to do that. I'm like, no. I, I, there were people that I knew who, who would ask me throughout my life, like, mm-hmm. you know, have you thought about this? Hey, I... And uh, I have I have cousins who's ministers and stuff like that, and they would jokingly ask me, "Hey, when are you gonna preach your first sermon?" I would laugh it off, like, you know, get out of here, like that's not gonna happen. Knowing inside, like, you kind of just touched a nerve, <laughs> like, if only you knew. And and um, the, the term is running from God, but um, being on this side of it's like, no, you're not running from God. You're actually running right into Him mm-hmm. at that designated moment in time. It, that's when it happens, and. Um, when, when I was at a Royal University at, that Saturday in the spring, probably in March or April sometime, that's when it happened. I ran directly into him. And I remember saying, like, all right, I'm, all right, I, I won't run from it anymore. Um, even though I still ended up at Harold Washington. So did you, after <laughs> after that, like, realization and, like, okay, God, I know what I know what I'm supposed to do now. Mm-hmm. So did you tell anybody or did you keep that to yourself? I kept it to myself for a little while. Mm-hmm. That, like I said, that was spring of 2012. Excuse me. I kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't want to talk about that yet. You know, it's still super yeah. new to me. I don't even know what that means. Right. I don't know where to go from this point. Um, but it was definitely a kind of thing. Right? To me, that's just that's a to me thing. Um, and I probably held it for a few months. And then when I transferred to Harold Washington, um, that September of 2013 is when I finally told my mom. Hmm. Then my family found out. And it was kind of a... Because <laughs> um, I think... I, I told her she told them, but like... In a sense, it was a day of rejoicing. Like, kind of everybody knew. Yeah. Which was kind of something that was relieving to me because it was kind of confirmation. Mm-hmm. Wasn't something I, I imagined myself. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I, I have this calling from God, and it was just something I've been hearing for years. Like, people around me knew. Mm-hmm. This was something that, since I was a kid, they were seeing in me, and my parents and um, my great-grandmother, God uh, rest her soul, down in Mississippi, one of the happiest, I believe, one of the happiest days of her life, she she called me yeah, to talk about it. That's awesome. She called me to talk about it. And my grandmother at the time was 80-something years old. Um, she called great grandmother. She called me to talk about it. We we talked about it. I didn't have much to tell her because again, I didn't know what this meant really. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we we talked about it. I from that point went undergone a process where studied and learned how to exegete and all this other good stuff. Exegete breaking down the um, scripture, explaining what the, this ancient text is saying. But I was still at Harold Washington. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I was like, what was going to happen next for you? Were you going to stay at community college mm-hmm. to pursue this calling? Or did you have other plans? I was still at Harold Washington, still playing drums and all that other good stuff. And it mm-hmm. was like, all right, okay. I can't have this calling and still be here trying to do music. That was another thing that played a part. I, maybe I was tired of practicing because I knew m- me practicing. Mm-hmm. I was practicing, to use the term, for the wrong thing. Mm. I'm practicing in vain. I'm not going with this anymore. Yeah. So I'm still practicing. Um, I don't know if that's what it was, but hey, eventually told my pastor, you know, and all right, you know, it's it's not just this anymore. So from here, Washington, I then transferred to my third school. <laughs> Lucky number three. <laughs> Lucky number three, Trinity Evangelical. No, act- actually, that's the Divinity School. Um, <laughs> Trinity ahead. Yes, Trinity University. That's where I transferred to. It's a place that my pastor went, so he suggested I go there. Mm-hmm. So, boom, here I am at Trinity because it was important to me to not just have this calling in um, December 21st, 2014, 2013, uh, 14, right? 2014, I believe, was the day I gave my first sermon, like kind of this. And then uh, the black church, anybody who is recognized as a minister, they have an initial sermon. You see, the old school term is trial sermon. Oh. Because back then, I, when I say back then, I mean um, early 1900s, 1950s, 60s. I'll even go as far as the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you would legit have a trial sermon. And if you didn't do good enough, they tell you, all right, you're not ready. Wow. <laughs> okay, try this again. Uh, which maybe in hindsight... So that would that mean like okay like this was this was like not quite up to snuff like to be in the regular rotation so you need to go practice a little yeah, more yeah you, you need to go practice a little more which gotcha maybe in hindsight maybe everybody doesn't have the strongest gift of communication <laughs> right but not, like when I when I undergo uh, uh, when I went through that process you still called it a trial sermon an initial sermon it was kind of the coming out that's all gotcha. I didn't have to go try again. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know oh, you. Didn't they quite they get weren't it. like, all right, uh, same time next month, <laughs> same maybe. Time next month. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I didn't have to do that one. Um, yeah, I went through my initial sermon. My so then I got a I got a go question. Ahead, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So then after your trial sermon, like, does like the pastor or the elders or something like let you know like a thumbs up, a thumbs down to the side, or or uh, how do you I, know? Like, what happened that day? I'm I just curious. I don't remember. A Exactly. Um, like I said, that was December 21st. Um, yeah, so right before He kind of gave it like a public kind of compliment, you oh, know. okay. Uh, and I think uh, back in the church offices, he just like recognized. It was uh, myself and someone else mm-hmm. um, who was a deacon, at one of our church deacons at the time, Deacon Laurie Monroe, or I should say Reverend Laurie Monroe, who's now with the Lord. Um, we, we went together. He, you know encouraged both of us and I had to turn around what a week later and preach again so wow. I gave two sermons my very first time I gave two sermons within like a week week and a half's time wow um, that's a lot to prepare for like for your first like yeah. go around but again I'm stuff like uh, let me tie it together then mm-hmm. <clears throat> I wanted to when I finally accepted my calling I wanted to prepare Mm-hmm. So I, I mentioned before, hey, when the lights come on, you know, that's that's when you can call me. Yeah. You want to go practice? Uh, I'm not trying to practice, you know. Mm-hmm. But when, when it's time, 
then you can count on me. When it came to preaching and um, I was a minister within our church, so I, really in an evangelical term, I was like an elder. Mm-hmm. I was a church elder at 21 years old. Mm-hmm. There were people who literally saw me at birth at that church. And here I am now in a position of authority. Um, I didn't want to just be the person who now had a license to preach. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I wanted to learn. I, I wanted this time around to prepare, to study, to practice. I wanted it this time. Wow. Um, so all the other times you're like, the other times. Call, call me when it's game time. <laughs> call, me when it's, call me when it's time to suit up. Yeah. I'm there. But no, this time it was, no, I, I want to learn. Um, I, I, I want to get into this book and, and study the, 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 the people of the book the region that these stories are told. I, w- I wanted to study and learn. That's what took me to Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave two sermons, but I, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to push it off. I was young still. I was 21. Mm-hmm. This was the third school I went to. <laughs> so I was still kind of in a place where I, w- I would say adulthood was kind of on hold. Right. In a sense, I was married already for a couple months, about <laughs> six months. I was already married. So in, in some people's eyes, I was completely an adult. Yeah. Um, but to me, sure, I was an adult, like, it was, as far as responsibilities, but I still had time to go and learn and such. Right. So that's that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I did. I went to, I was at Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was at Trinity, and it was a, I actually, I was not married yet. I hate that I mess up my dates all the time. <laughs> that's okay. This was, 20, this was 2013. I was not married uh, yet. By the time all of this happened... And then me being at Trinity, and I wasn't I wasn't even married, and I was like, you know what? Now it's time, as my wife says, you know what? Why would you be out in Deerfield? And Deerfield being, is a is a suburb. Yes, for why, the listeners yes. Who don't why know. would you be out in Deerfield, Illinois, which Deerfield is probably about thirty five ish minutes outside of Chicago to the north, without traffic. <laughs> without traffic, yeah. Do not try to go to Deerfield anywhere between the hours of two and six forty-five because you would be in traffic. Um, why would you be out there as a biblical studies major? Because mm-hmm. even though it's a Christian liberal arts school, that's as close as you can get to studying scripture. Why would you be a biblical studies major where you can come here to this place called Moody, where mm-hmm. I am, and you can be a, a preaching major, biblical exposition? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, it's a great idea. So smart. Transferred to Moody. Here we go. <laughs> school number four. <laughs> Here we go. I'm in my fourth school. Transferred myself again. Um, I'm like, this is the last one I can transfer again. <laughs> because now, I, now, after all of those times in high school, senior year, trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, at 18, it took me four years to figure out, this is what I want to do. But, you know, that's okay. No wrong turns. (laughs) It's a great podcast, I heard. Yeah. (laughs) No wrong turns. And at the time, you can kind of see it that, man, I made a lot of wrong turns. Mm -hmm. Um, Great analogy. Great podcast name. I've made a lot of wrong turns in these four years. I've wasted my time. And for those of you who can't see it, these are air quotes. (laughs) Yeah. I've wasted my time at this one school I've wasted my time at this other school I've wasted my time in this major and this major doing this and this and this and that and not understanding that everything that we kind of not I won't even say kind of everything that we go through in life is a part of our story Mm -hmm. it's our journey to use the term it's our lot in life 
where these events, these instances, these scenarios and such, it adds to who we are. It adds to the direction of life that we are going in. Mm -hmm. And me ending up at Moody was very difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm married. This is now, I'm starting school in 2014. I'm supposed to be ending school next semester. It's supposed to be my fourth year. I'm, so, I'm supposed to be done. So did any, I'm just curious, did any of the previous schools that you have been at, did any of those like credit transfer? transfer? Yes. Okay. They did. So you weren't like having to start up for like, start from totally zero. No, not, not, not ground zero. I, I did not have to start there. Thankfully, uh, there was gen eds, freshman, sophomore year and stuff. So a lot mm -hmm. of those transfer. Trinity being a Christian liberal arts school. It's them um, transferring my stuff to Moody and Moody figuring out, uh, this will count for this and this gotcha. will count for this. Uh, we don't know what this is, so we're just mm -hmm. <laughs> we're just gonna leave that off. Um, so a lot of those things, you know, happen, but a lot of lot of credits transfer. Mm -hmm. So even though I started at Moody, I wasn't a freshman when I started. Gotcha. I was a sophomore. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I was a sophomore, but here I am, finally in a place where I'm surrounded by like-minded people as far as ministry, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the right spot. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of made it. Thinking back at that time on 18-year-old Anton, like, man, you didn't know any of this was going to happen. You didn't even predict it. You couldn't have seen it. This is where you are, though. Whether you're happy with it or not, like, <laughs> this is where you are. You're in the right spot. At least you can say, like, all of those years of running, you think you're running from God. Like, he has you in the exact place he wants you, he wants you to be at. Mm -hmm. And at this time, my knowledgeable passions are changing. Yeah. So when it was once sports and music and such hey where i am now I'm talking about christian ministry mm -hmm. and in the midst of talking about christian ministry here i am also realizing those things that i was talking about as a kid those economic things where we have in the community these dilap uh, dilapidated homes yeah. and food deserts and all this stuff so this idea of christian ministry is now mixing itself with mm -hmm. community development like, how do you get this at a Christian, uh, not even a Christian college, at a Bible school? Right. This is a Bible school. Everybody at this school majors in something and Bible. Yep. Not 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 just, I mean, I mean th there's no arts. In a, this is, I was a biblical exposition major. Biblical exposition, which is a very fancy word for preaching. I was mm -hmm. a preaching major and Bible with a, um, not even a full minor in um, urban studies. That was my thing. As I'm here at Moody, I'm understanding, all right, who am I as a minority in this predominantly white school? Um, who am I here? What the, the, the theology that I'm being taught, how does that compare with the theology in which I grew up with? Mm -hmm. Um who am I here as a as as a young black male married, um, around single kids, you know, single kids from whatever state, um, and the only parts of life that they know, which some of them told me was like, yeah, I was at a Christian camp and um, I just you know live with my parents and here I am at Moody. Like, at one point in time that was me, but here I am now at Moody. Couple. They're 18, 19 years old. Here mm -hmm. I am, 21, 22, 23 now. Like, how, you know, what's my identity in this place? 
was a lot of asking those questions and and as I would matriculate it through Moody, figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a rough time because it got me into some trouble. As far as <laughs> one thing about being an Enneagram Eight and a challenger, and one thing about knowing who Anton Atkins is, I'm speak my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. I'm gonna let you know. I don't like this. I don't agree with it. I, I don't agree with this. Um, it's got me into some good places and it got me into some bad <laughs> places before. Um, I had those instances at Moody where at school we had some racial things, that conversations that came up that I, I wasn't at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just voicing my opinion sometimes that pushed me to near center, I'll say. Um, and it, it just kind of made me think so i appreciate it looking back on it not being there now like yeah that that helped me think mm-hmm. that helped me realize now how as i saw myself um as because as i moved through moody i wasn't just married i finished moody as a father of two um at 26 years old mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't just like understanding who i was but where am i gonna go from here now that I have this Bible education, um, now that I've met these friends, now that I can kind of explain things about the world around me, mm-hmm. how is that framing me? How is that shaping me? Those those were some of the things I was thinking about. And that, as I use the term, that um, knowledgeable passions, that's where I ended up now, where I can say I'm passionate about community development and Christian development. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, it's not a, I won't, I won't, I won't say it's not a, um, some people have asked, how do those two mix? Mm-hmm. If you look at it the, from a theological standpoint, they mix. If you don't look at it from a theological standpoint, they can stand apart from each other. We've seen it since forever. You, you can have Christians doing this one thing and you can have urban planners or whoever, you know, community activists who aren't, religious at all build a community you know we've seen it it's, it's definitely possible but in, in my mind it's it's building the two putting them together mm-hmm. um, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God is at hand in the Christian world we see that as an already not yet that's a that's a term that's out there the kingdom of God is something that's already here yet it's not yet here mm-hmm. and what do those things look like so if the kingdom of God is here what are we seeing what should we be seeing what should we be doing it's not just making disciples um, making new followers of jesus uh, but it 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 makes us look at the world around us so jesus said that the kingdom of god is already here what was he doing here building the kingdom of god it's a really intriguing question i asked myself some years ago and you can really you can find the answer just by looking through scripture what was he doing healing people Mm-hmm. Um, feeding people, teaching people, being a person to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Some say, oh, we can't heal now. Yeah, we got hospitals, though. And we have the ability to make sure that hospitals are accessible, hospitals are funded, mm-hmm. that people have health care, you know? Yeah. Those things that, that can translate. We can say that was over 2,000 years ago. Yeah, but we have the... 2,000 years later version of what he was doing now. Mm-hmm. Are That's we good. doing that, though, is the question. Um, Jesus 
the, the holy one, um, sat with sinners. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, Jesus didn't condemn people he was with. I, one of my absolute favorite, like, super indirect, direct parts of Scripture is at the end of John. Um, John the Gospel, John 21. John says, and many of these things were recorded. Loose translation. And many things were recorded or many things that he did that were not recorded. I love that thought. Like, while wow, Jesus did so many other things that John didn't even write down. Man, what did he do? I, I love that idea. What did he do? So when we say he sat with sinners, I love the idea that he just sat with them and didn't try to evangelize any of them. Because mm. he was Jesus himself. Like, he didn't have to force it. Yeah. His holiness, his being wasn't determined on him leaving a room and coming out, converting everybody there. He was a person to people. <laughs> I absolutely love that idea. He can change a room just by being there. Didn't mm-hmm. have to tell a soul who he was. Just by being there, the room was potentially impacted for the kingdom of God. I love that idea. Um, Hebrew says that in, in every way he was as we were. I love that idea. I love that idea. Okay, so Jesus sometimes walked around Jerusalem or in places in Galilee or Capernaum or something like that, and he saw poverty. He saw homelessness. He saw sick people. Um, he saw ordinary families just trying to make it day to day. Uh, he saw um, couples who struggled. He saw couples who had a great relationship. Um, he saw people with strange relationships where mother and father um, excuse me. Yeah, mother and father didn't have the best relationship with son and daughter. Hmm. Um, he saw son leave his parents behind. He saw daughter or son take money. F- he literally saw everything in, in, in that old ancient Near East context that we see today. He saw it all. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Jesus, without sin, had some of the same struggles I had with. Jesus wanted to curse people out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus he did flip a table. He flipped a table. <laughs> so uh, they didn't tell us what he was saying when he when he <laughs> flipped the table. Uh, Jesus probably was cursing in. Uh, I, I, you know, um, some people say it's blasphemy to say that, but uh, you know, I I, I like to tell those lines. <laughs> um, I, I love thinking that Jesus lived life. He was human and he was God and man. He he lived life kind of how we did. Um, so when it comes to the kingdom of God is like Jesus here as as God and man live life just how we did. But what is it that Jesus did that we should be doing, that we are not doing, that we are doing? Um, and that comes in, in Christian development. The... This week in our sponsor spot is our guest, New Cafe, Cafe Calidad. If you're listening to this podcast on the week that it releases, then this is also the opening week for Lasette and Anton's grand opening for their new coffee shop. They're located at 3455 West North Street in Chicago's Humboldt Park neighborhood. Their hours of operation are Monday to Friday, 7 to 2, and Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 3. On their menu are a variety of options, from a classic drip or a cafe con leche to a fancy matcha latte. Or if you're not in need of caffeine, they also have tea and hot chocolate options. 
Additionally, they source vegan donuts, so you can also have a tasty treat with your drink. If you're in the Chicago area, go check out Cafe Calidad. Show notes will have all of their information so you can find them. All right, back to Anton's story. Um, now, when I was at Moody, maybe not so. The idea of mingling with those who had different, even Christian beliefs, mm-hmm. were foreign. Yeah. Which, in my background, wasn't foreign at all. Um, I didn't understand it. I, I won't lie and say I didn't call it weird. Right. Um, but going, matriculating through Bible school, okay, I have some theological bearings to myself. And leaving there, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's what they believe. They're still people, though, you mm-hmm. know? Um, Christian development, just in our lar- larger context of the United States, we understand that evangelical is a, almost a trigger word now. Mm-hmm. It touches nerves. Yeah. Some people don't even want to be considered evangelical anymore because the t- old school evangelicalism of just believing in the resurrection, believing in the Bible, and believing that Jesus is God is not the same as what it is now. Um, I love the, the term is Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. and that nationalism. Christian nationalism is very keen to, or it's likened unto evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of figures within evangelicalism who have made themselves public figures in a political sense. Yeah. I think we saw that in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. Just Yeah, just a little bit. Just a few people. Sure. Yeah. So much so that everybody knows the fame (laughs) denomination of the SBC. Like, like how do you even know who they are? Yeah. They made themselves famous. Um, and not in a good way, some would say. Um, now it makes it harder when you say, I'm a believer. Oh, you with them. Mm-hmm. You vote this way. Right. You believe these things. A bunch of assumptions. Yeah, a bunch of assumptions that, mm, ironically, people on the Christian side have put. It's, um, it's not fun when, when the rabbit has a gun. <laughs> it, it, when the, when the, the shoe is on the other side of the, uh, uh, the shoe is on the other foot, it's, it's not the same. It makes it harder. Um, I don't think it changes my message and what I do. Mm-hmm. It's still to fight for the marginalized and those who are without. Part of me doing that was I just, um, last year I was laid off to COVID, but I was working at a non-for-profit for about a year and nine months. Mm-hmm. And there I was working directly with kids who live within poverty. Mm-hmm. So I, I legit was there every day with kids who don't have a laptop. Some of them didn't have cell phones. They um, they wore uniforms to school, but some of those kids wore the same. I saw them. Yeah. Same clothes as yesterday. Mm-hmm. That same stain on your shoulders there today. Yeah. Um, I paid for food for some of these kids before. Like, I'm... As the term hands in the dirt, I was I was there with him. Mm-hmm. I sought that out because um, I want I didn't want it just to be a thing of this mental thing. Yeah, there's injustice in our communities, and we should do something about it. But I'm just at home, or you know, which has a place. Everybody can do everything. Yeah. Um, but since I had the opportunity, I really wanted to jump at it and get into that. I absolutely love working with those kids. It was hard. It was it was difficult. I couldn't get to my family because I had to drive a kid home because mm-hmm. their parents were working too late or the communication is bad with them 
my phone died. Oh, I didn't know you, whatever it could yeah. be, you know, these, these different things. All right. So for the last couple years, there was a, you, we have like a little bit of a gap, which you kind of filled in with telling us about your last job from the, t- around the time you graduated, but there was a little bit more time. So can you kind of fill us in on what else you have been able to add to your story? Sure. I graduated from Moody. It was a very long strenuous difficult eight months of me trying to find a job Mm. and man it was a lot of god where are you what's your plan yeah you can you can let me know at any point like any point you can wake me up i can be in the middle of the day and say all right you know this is the point here's Mm -hmm. your job type of thing that would be a lot of pressure because at this point it's not just you it's you your wife you Mm -hmm. had two i had two girls yeah i had two girls at the time Mm -hmm. yep so it was okay, you know. It's not like you can just go back to your mom's house and all fit back in there. Yeah, all of that was over. You know, it was you're 26 with with a wife now of four years, mm-hmm. um, and and two girls. Like you're full adult, trying you know trying to make it happen. Um, and thankfully, I had family to you know help and support there. Um, and man, figure just figuring, trying to figure things out, um, and I found a job at this nonprofit where interestingly enough full circle I was a um, nonprofit called Breakthrough Urban Ministries here on the west side of Chicago great organization where um, they help those uh, experiencing po- uh, homelessness excuse me mm-hmm. um, with their adult network and then in the youth network they have a bevy of programs sports related um, um, arts related as far as either dance broadcasting um, um, an after-school program, all these a myriad of things. Yeah, my husband, he actually volunteered with Breakthrough for, like, a feeding, mm. um, like, doing meals. At one of the kitchens. Yeah, yeah one of the yeah. kitchens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, I've done that before. Um, wanted, I definitely wanted that experience uh, of doing that. It's really cool because kind of run into those guys anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I worked at Breakthrough. I was there as an athletic coordinator. Mm-hmm. So here I am years later, not professional in any type of sports, but I'm here in kind of community development Yeah. in sports. Mm-hmm. I kind of saw it as a full circle thing where I didn't, I didn't get into this per se as like my life, my life's earnings, but right. here I am in my now passion, what I, what I believe is like my, the passion, you know, mm-hmm. here I am, um, and sports is involved. How cool is that? You know, that's awesome. And all <laughs> under the umbrella of serving mm-hmm. in ministry, yeah, exactly, and exactly. Getting to have community and build community and have your sports passions, all of those things, all coming together. Yep. And and I was so grateful. Number one, the pain of the last eight months are over with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here I am, one getting to be someone directly impacting those in the community all at the same time not really learning anything foreign as far as skills like i'm already able to talk to people and relate to people super well these kids are my neighbors these parents i've i knew some of them either work with my mom or like just we were connected in one way or the other i've been these kids before you mm-hmm. know um and here i am working with them it, it was it was amazing i understand um that 
or I should say understood that this was my opportunity to, as the term goes, have my hands in the ground. Mm-hmm. Everyone can't do everything. So I, as, as an example, as Dr. King marched in the street, somebody still had to go to work. You yeah. know, uh, there were plenty of people who we didn't see who were part of the civil rights movement who went to their job every day and maybe on the weekends or something participated in marches or something. So mm-hmm. my my passion of uh, Christian development, community development was all coming together yeah. at, the, at this at this one place. I, I worked with kids who literally told the poverty line. Um, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have a laptop. House didn't have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, they lived in a food desert, Garfield Park. Um, they struggled. You can see the struggle. Mm-hmm. They attended schools that had uniforms, and you can tell that some of the kids wore the same clothes the very the, the next day. Yeah. The day before, the, the same spot is in the same location. Um, some of these kids wanted to hang around you because going home wasn't the best thing to go to. Right. Um, probably didn't have the, the best relationship with parents or siblings or cousins or somebody, you know, any, mm-hmm. any, anything that was at home that they didn't want to be a part of. I've bought food for kids before. I've driven kids home. I've spent time away from my family, resources away from my family to aid these children. Of course, in the moment, it's like, oh, this job type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I understood it was, it was something I had to do because who else would do it? Yeah. Who else had they obviously didn't have anybody. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be sitting next to you here after program is over an hour and a half later if they had somebody they can actually depend on. Right. Actually count on. Um, did it have to be me? <laughs> is a question that, that came up often with me. Uh, did, did, why, why am I the one? Uh, why am I the one in this situation? Um, I don't know, but I was. I chose this job. I wanted this job. Um, I didn't try to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Hero is nothing but a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I, I didn't I didn't try to be a hero. Um, I just wanted to be somebody that helped them along. Mm-hmm. My a professor that I had at Moody, Clive Cragen. Mm-hmm. He had a saying that I'll never forget. I love it so much. He was talking about evangelism, though. Um, he said, you're just a link in the chain. Mm-hmm. The chain of somebody's salvation story or somebody's life. You're a link in the chain. Oftentimes, we think of ourselves as the one bringing the chain yeah. to wrap around somebody's head. It's like, no, you're just a link. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kids, I was just a link in the chain. Yeah. There were sometimes I maybe put, you know, two links together or there were other times I was just linking, <laughs> you know. And you won't see how that turns out till you get to happen. You won't see it. It's, it's, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. If, if we're doing it for God's kingdom, it, it's not for me to have my back padded, you know, or someone to bring me flowers. Never happened anyway. Didn't expect <laughs> it because I know it wasn't it wasn't about Anton being here. Um, big shift talking about elementary school and high school i, mm-hmm. I wanted the lights yeah you know, I, I, I wanted the attention all on me um can't say that that's not something that's completely withdrawn from me <laughs> um but i knew that when it come, came to serving a bigger purpose i'm, I'm playing a role mm-hmm. and the best thing i can do is be the best at playing this role that i'm in um and it was it was man it was rewarding doing that very rewarding um being a part of those kids lives and just seeing them grow and develop 
experience new things together, some of them for the first time. Um, being in, in this part, that part, one of, one of the joys that I had um, in being in that role as an athletic director was being over the boys' mentor program. So you had kids from the neighborhood come here every um, Thursday night at 6.30. All right, it's mentor time. Mm-hmm. And it was, the, it was a struggle finding mentors just with schedules and um, people who could commit for only a small number of weeks and stuff right. like that. Um, but I made it a point that I would be consistent, not just because it was my job, because I could easily, all right, I can find a speaker or mm-hmm. I can find some somebody else to it. Um, I wanted to spend that time with them. These are young men ranging anywhere between 12 or 13 years old, mm-hmm. um, all the way up to 16, 17. Young, impressionable age, and those who are trying to figure out life. Here I am, 27, uh, 26, 27 years old. I'm in another place with them. Some of them have said, I've never known anyone your age who's married. Mm. Never known anybody your age who has children. Like you, like you see your kids every day. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, <laughs> I saw them this morning. I'm going back to them. Like when I leave here, like, wow, like, oh that's different. Yeah. And it's like, I understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I was them before. It was weird for me to like you're young and married. Like whoa, I only know older and married people. People 50, 60 married. Like yeah. you're twenty something married. Like whoa, that's new. That's important. Mm-hmm. Important to be visible, to be seen in those areas for, for those, uh, these kids to see that stuff and, and for it to be normal to them. That, that's, that's the thing for it to be normal, Mm -hmm. to have, um, things in their lives that you would possibly see on TV or Instagram or something like, Oh no, this is, this is my life. I know married people. I know, I know fathers, I know mothers and everything that in their lives actively doing this, you know, taking care of them all day. They know that, um, I think yeah. the the idea of like the example of kind of like almost like a unicorn example like mm-hmm. so it's like so rare like you may see it like on the screen or something but in real life like having that example of like someone you know like this guy who uh, mentors us or like has a basketball like set up for us situation mm-hmm. he's married he has kids like he loves his wife and his family like seeing that even if it was just like one time or just for the season mm-hmm. i think can make a big impact i'm trying totally. to remember what it was but recently either on a podcast or a story that i heard from someone um they were talking about some like a vaguely similar story about when they were a kid and they saw it was just like they're just describing a pretty normal quote unquote normal family situation Mm -hmm. just like mom dad and kids and and that they thought like one day like that's going to be me like this Mm -hmm. this is what i want my life to look like and they had said that they had seen it like in movies because they you know you had grown up kind of seeing that but then to actually have that kind of example rub off on their life and it was just for a short time, but then that really stuck with them. And it's crazy, like, for kids, what what an impact on just, like, one action or maybe even just for a short period of time, something like an example can be. Mm-hmm. It was, it was that's, that's so important, you know, those, those instances. One, what seems to be, like, a one-off thing, like, mm-hmm. that can actually be life-changing. 
I my community, um, North Londa, if my statistics statistics are correct, is in the high nineties of just African American. I at fourteen years old went to the most diverse school in all of Chicago, in all of the state. My very first day of high school, my at the lunch table, I met these guys at the basketball camp um, previously that summer. It was three uh, first-generation American kids, one from Mongolia, one from South uh, Korea, and the other one was from India. Culture shock. Mm-hmm. At the time, where's Mongolia? You probably went home and looked it up. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> I knew exactly where it was after that, but Mongolia, what? Never in my life met someone from Mongolia. Never in my life met somebody from Korea. Mm-hmm. And, not, and not like... Yeah, my great-grandparents are from... No, he's first generation. Mm-hmm. His parents are from there. First generation Indian. His parents are from India. That was my experience. That mm-hmm. forever changed me. These these kids... Uh, my wife is Hispanic. She's first generation Guatemalan. When I would bring my family uh, to work... Oh, that's your wife? Mm-hmm. Don't I? I don't think of. I know for a fact. I'll say that a few of those kids. That was the first interaction with somebody um, from Guatemala, or not mm-hmm. from there, but that close to it. Yeah. Like, what's the difference between Guatemala and Mexico, or Guatemala and Colombia, or Guatemala? Like, they, great question. Glad you're asking. <laughs> great question. I have an answer for you. I actually have an expert right here. Yeah. Somebody who knows. Let's let's get the expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get the expert in that. Like those that, and I would see the kids. You would see their eyes. Like, yeah. They, they pop because mm-hmm. it was like, wow, this is cool. Interesting. I've never experienced it before. I've never talked to a person like this. Um, that's the kind of the beauty of the life that we have now that um, you can see things on just different um, social media. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's a world away. And it's like you live in a world class city, Chicago. It's here yeah. somewhere. It's definitely here. And, and for me, just being at, at that job, no longer there. My mission has changed. But as far as. Christian development, community development, it's, it's for me, doing God's work. So what does that mean as far as me talking about my ministerial calling? Mm-hmm. Well, Anton, are you at a church currently? Are you, are you <laughs> pastoring a church currently? I'm not. What does that look like for me, really? I don't know, honestly, uh, to, be, to be frank. I'm still young. I'm 28. Who knows what the next 10 or even five years look like mm-hmm. uh, for me? I could, but I could be somewhere, you know, I, I, I think that's within my life somewhere, but I know that I know and understand that pastoring has different faces. It looks not the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. I use the civil rights um, movement as an example. I can, uh, I'll go back to that. Um, Dr. King was a pastor and he spent major- majority of his time, adult life, not in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, he marched a lot. He met with leaders a lot. He was, was the pastor of, uh, two different churches, but yeah, that was part of what he did. But a lot of it was marching. Same with the guys that were with him, Reverend Abernathy, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. A lot of them weren't just, you know, the traditional way of what we see pastors and preachers to look like. Mm-hmm. You're at the church doing church work and blah, blah, blah. Uh, for me, it's within the streets. Mm-hmm. What, what does it look like out here? Um, that idea of the kingdom of God. Literally being the hands and feet. Literally being the hands and feet of, of Jesus. What what does that look? That's me now. That's a question that I've asked myself 
a couple years ago, I continue to uh, continually ask myself that. What does it look like to be the hands and feet of, of Jesus? If the kingdom of God is is at hand, as Jesus said, um, at hand, the, the Christian term of already and not yet. It's already here. It's not yet here. What, what does that look like in my context? What can Anton do? Mm-hmm. I know who knows what I'll have the ability to do. Um, but what can I do? Part of being at Breakthrough was being the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I can say I didn't actively try to um, convert any of the people I encountered at Breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Kind of uncomfortable for me. That wasn't the right setting for it. Me being at work and all of this other, uh, all these other different things. But I wanted to be like Jesus there. Mm-hmm. What What does that look like and mean? Hey, if you need me, I'm there. You know, Jesus fed people. I fed these kids. They were hungry. Man, I haven't eaten today, and I know he's here. Sometimes there, uh, there were kids at the building had absolutely no re- reason to be there. It's a sense of home there. Yeah. Their friends are there. I can't go home. My parents not there. There were some kids who would literally just ask me, like, can you please buy me food? I haven't eaten today. And I'm talking 12 in the afternoon. I mean, excuse me, 12 in the afternoon, 2 in the afternoon. Wow. Hey, I haven't eaten today. All right, let's go over here. Let's Uber this, you know, mm-hmm. food there. For me, that was being like Jesus. Kids are hungry. Uh, let me feed them. Didn't develop a complex in me. It's, it's I, I appreciate having this opportunity to do something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was people saying a healthy relationship. We understand that Jesus and God had that. Mm-hmm. He over and over again said in John, I only do and say what my father tells me. Jesus and God had a great relationship. Um, I didn't try to act like my wife and I were picturesque when we come to work, but it's like, yeah, this is my wife mm-hmm. who I'm happily married to. Like, I lo- love her to death. Um, you might not see that in your life. You, you know somebody mm-hmm. who has a, a great relationship with their spouse. Um, my my mother would come there. Great relationship with my mother. I mentioned earlier, um, I didn't grow up with my dad. I have a relationship with him. He came back into my life when I was 19, crazy enough, on my 19th birthday. Wow. Um, the timing of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had last, I last spoke and seen my dad when I was eight. He brought wow, me, like 10 years, 11 years. Yeah, yeah, basically. He he bought me a drum set, um, my first like big, big boy drum set. And then 11 years later, I talked to him. We have a great relationship now. In my mentorship program, talking to the kids about that. Like, hey, let's be real. How many of you all grew up with your dad? How many of you all talk to him now? Tell him my story. Hey, I ain't grew up with him. He He's from Mississippi because my mother went to school down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Chicago. He moved to Milwaukee and moved back home. He's 11 hours away from me mm-hmm. physically. We call and talk. Like, that's the best we can do right now. Like, letting them know there's hope for their situation. Might not talk to your dad, but it's like, you can. Yeah. It's it's available if you if you want that. If you want that, it, it's there. I'm I'm an example that it's it's possible. Like hey, my they saw my brother. My brother came up there and coached the game, referee, brought mm-hmm. his own team. Like yeah, this, you know this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just who I am at work. And I go home and I'm a completely different person. I try to be open and transparent and. Have them see my life. That's what Jesus did here. See my life. Mm-hmm. They knew who his mother was. They knew who his family was. They um, people would ask Jesus, like, if you, you know, 
tell us who you really are. Like I told you already, you know, he, he, he wasn't being secretive at all. Um, uh, trying to do different things. And I, I try to be that, um, in, in my capacity right now, since I'm not at breakthrough, I can say that it's kind of shifted. So I'm not hands on in the sense of directly working with kids. My wife and I are opening up a coffee shop. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're moving at Bre- the wrong time. Breaking news. I just am hearing this now. <laughs> yes. In uh, North Lawndale? We were looking at Little Village. Oh, okay. Um, so Little Village, North Lawndale, you know. It's pretty much the same area. Yeah. Just kinda, like neighbors. Right. North Lawndale, South Lawndale. You know, we don't have to get technical into that. History nerd <laughs> here about the city of Chicago. I was once a tour guide, so, you know, I can tell you whatever you want to know. Uh, <laughs> I joke. But, um. We're trying to open up a coffee shop. So now it's like, it's an economic development. Mm-hmm. We understand or know now that some people are hands and feet every day and some people got to go to work. Yeah. Dr. King marched and such. And that the people who went to work funded that. Mm-hmm. The SCLC, uh, Southern Christian Leadership. They, they funded that. We all have a part to play. I, I want kids now through our coffee shop and hopefully this isn't the first uh, and last business, but even more, um, there are children who need a place to work. All right. I have a business where I can employ you. That's so awesome. You don't have to ask, Hey, you gotta, I can employ you here. Mm -hmm. Um, the majority of coffee throughout the world is made in Africa and South America. Mm -hmm. I'm black. My wife is Hispanic. The majority of coffee drinkers in America are white. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing where we're looking to reclaim coffee. Right. Uh, but it's a thing that we shouldn't have to go outside to Starbucks over here and over there and over there traveling 10, 15 minutes away from our house. We can have it here in our community, too. Mm-hmm. We can teach you coffee, where coffee comes from. That's how coffee's awesome. made. It's educational. Everybody, you know, we can learn from it. Like I said, hopefully the coffee shop isn't the first and last business we can have a foundation. We're looking about our first house, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, we have a foundation for that. You know, the, I, I, I'm definitely someone when it comes to vision and I, I can see it. I can see 15 years from now. Right. I, I love vision. Um, that's just what I, that's kind of how it is. Thankfully I have a wife who can say, Hey, great for 15 years. We want to talk about the next 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's narrow in here a little bit. <laughs> let's narrow that vision in. It's great, but you know, let's, let's deal with the, with the, uh, with the right now. But that's kind of where we are now. I'm, I'm still going to be the person who I can have a conversation about, you know, justice and equity and all of that. But it's now not necessarily me being the person who's, uh, on the ground every day, you know, meeting with people and such. It's on the economic side mm-hmm. where that's greatly needed also, access to wealth. That's what a lot of minorities do not have, as we know, due to redlining, prison, uh, school-to-prison pipeline, like so many different, you know, the war on drugs, all, all of that. Those, That's a whole nother podcast episode. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe we'll have it back for a part two. <laughs> It's a whole other episode, but you know that that's our that's our our thing now. That's, that's what we focus on. This is just the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. So well, that's super exciting, and mm. I can see from that I from that like business possibility idea that you guys are pursuing is kind of cool to see all of your passions kind of just like snowballing and mm-hmm. like rolling into that because even though you're saying like oh it's not hands on it's mm-hmm. not uh, you're saying that but in my mind I'm thinking I think it is because people are going to be coming in that's from true. the neighborhood and you're going to be like you just said like having the opportunity to employ who you want to employ and be able to have like an impact and um, example and just do life with um, those people you come into contact that way. That's true. I I might be interpreting it wrong. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. That is hands-on too. Yeah, yeah. just a, just a different di- different uh, angle. I yeah, guess. yeah, 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 different perspective of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally, totally. But yeah, that's that that's kind of how we want to do it. You know, I'm thankful for places like uh, Breakthrough, but so many of the kids, you know, like I work there, mm-hmm. we try to build connections with those who can employ these kids or give them internships and all mm-hmm. of that. Like, how great would it be? You don't even have to be a part of like an organization. Like, call me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, <laughs> you, you you know me. Or somebody, you know somebody that knows me. Hey, um, my kids need service learning hours. You know, for, mm, yeah. for people who don't know what that is, um, part of Chicago Public Schools. Um, you need 40. I think it used to be 40. When I was there, it was 40. I mean, excuse I me. So. Um, yeah, you need, uh, four, I think it was 40 service learning hours to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just vo- that means like volunteer just stuff. Yeah, volunteer mm-hmm. stuff. Like, hey, my kids need hours. Okay, bring them back tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I got something for him to do. Uh, you know, anything like that. But yeah, it's it's a place where we can be a part of community development. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry. In a, in a sense, we we can be a part of the process that we can get get rid of or slow down um, gentrification or you know community uh, disinvestment or something like that. Where mm-hmm. the same buildings I saw as a kid that I drove by on my way to school. I'm that I can now be in a position to buy that building and I can house somebody. I, we don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. Yeah. It's already within our community, somebody from our community understanding the situations of the people here and we can improve that ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wait for government programs, government funding or something like that. Like um, it's something we can do, you know. But it it brings up the value of everything. Better schools, you can get more money for schools and property property taxes and such, which, you know, so, so things like that. <laughs> Hopefully, again, me talking about vision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'll be excited to see what vision. happens in, in the next couple months and yeah. like year or so, how, how that goes. Yeah. Trying to, trying to secure a location right now. We have everything. We literally have everything else. We've, we've done all of the backward legitimizing ourselves as a, as a, a corporate entity um our machines the equipment this and that like we have it all we just need oh some this place. is so exciting we just need some place to put it well when you <laughs> well when you get the place to put it let me know and i'm gonna post it so i can tell the listeners about it so oh, that would be yeah, awesome well, i appreciate that we definitely appreciate it yeah it'd be a cool place just to you know a lot of work from home people now yeah yeah so come you know come get you some good coffee some good coffee and and vibe out get your work done Love it. That's awesome. All right. So we want to uh, pivot a little bit. And I want to ask you a couple questions before we wrap up here. So uh, I'm curious if there are any myths that you believed 
or that you hear people um, saying about your passions um, even now that you could debunk for the listeners today? Yeah. And one, one comes to mind if I, if I can combine my experiences, I'll even go back to high school and even going through college, being the minority in literally every one of those situations, a lot of times the ideas of assimilation come in. Hmm. Like you have to assimilate to the culture, whatever that majority culture is. Mm-hmm. Your ideals much must match those or theirs. Your personality, your character, everything must match the the majority that's there. And you don't have to do that. I, I struggled with that when I was at Moody. I, I, I had a, a period where I knew who I was, but I'm like, this person that I'm seemingly changing into, is this authentic to who I am and who God has called me to be? This, this person in which God has shown me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Is this authentic to that person? No, it wasn't. In the end, I realized it wasn't. Um, God has, when in, in terms of Christian development, the people who see Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are vast. Mm-hmm. They're Christians all over the world. All over. All, 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 all over. Christians all over America who look so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Who speak so many different languages? Yeah, who have so many different cultures, who believe so many different things that are, believe it or not, within the scope of Scripture. Um, you don't you don't have to change who you are, um, to fit into whatever context it is that you're in. As much as Christianity is a as a communal faith which is kind of lost in a lot of respects. Uh, it's a private one. It's, it's you and God. Mm-hmm. God will and can reveal who you are. Like, ah, oh, this is who I am. This is why I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is why I lean toward this. Uh, you know, whatever it is, like, like God will reveal that to you. Ask him. Be intentional in paying attention to those things where uh, things will make sense. Those aha moments will, will come to you. And they came to me and <clears throat> excuse me. I did, I realized I didn't have to assemble. I, I can, I can be who <laughs> I can be this Enneagram eight. Um, God can handle me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people can't, that is fine. I like that. Um, I like that truth about being able to be you and be you like in your own your own skin mm-hmm. like you not trying to kind of like water down or kind of muffle like who you really are and what you're really thinking mm-hmm. i think that's a really good reminder even when you're in a situation where you you are like not in the majority mm-hmm. i really like that reminder because i think that is something that's easy to do when you feel like okay looking around like uh, i don't want to ruffle feathers here but i think in the end you'll probably have like a bigger like ruffling of feathers like if you aren't true to who you are yeah 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 it's 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 that the dichotomy of am i do i fear ruffling feathers more than i fear losing myself Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day if i may you know speak it proverbially like that them feathers you ruffle, you ain't going home with. I was just, <laughs> You don't have to live with. Yeah. It's, it's you. You go to sleep with you. 
I was just listening to a podcast today. Do you know Christine Kane? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was talking about this idea, this about you're probably going to have some feelings of either like sometimes like be like living in obedience to God, mm-hmm. you you may feel some pain mm-hmm. and like that's true. But she said there also is pain in like rejection of like mm. when people don't like what you, uh, what you're doing. But she was like, but later on there also could be like rejection and pain from like not following what God had for you. Mm-hmm. So that idea just sounds exactly exactly what you were sharing about uh, like there's going to be pain with rejection but there's also a, can be pain with obedience but the pain from rejection is way worse than the pain from oh, yeah. the obedience she's on the money with that one she's yeah. definitely it would, and i guess indirectly that's what i say or what i what mm-hmm. i believe like if you're on the side of right your time will show you're on the side of right yeah those those people who spoke against you and spoke against what you were saying they're the ones who are gonna who will have to do whatever they have to do to make peace with the the right mm-hmm. that they were on the wrong they, they, they're gonna have to do that work you were there and part of it is being okay with that timetable whatever mm-hmm. it is you you spoke truth I, and and kind of say this to myself there are just instances where i whether it was at Moody or outside where I, I said something and people didn't like it. And I'm like, I have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Say things that people don't like. And it's not like um, I'm the wise one or, you know, I, I see this ahead of time. And any of those things. It's just when hey, when right is right <laughs> and wrong is wrong. And you speak it right. It's like, hey. And especially in our social media life. You say something and you don't see the likes or the comments. Mm-hmm. When you look for that stuff, oh, you you already in trouble. But yeah, Christian development don't you don't have to assimilate. Be true to you. That, mm-hmm. that if one thing my kids will learn <laughs> coming from their father is be true to you. Whoever you are, be true. Be true to that that person that God made you because He didn't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, there there's some things that you might have to fine tune. Right. Um, I have a mouth on me. Um, and it's not just talking but it's voicing my opinion I've had to learn throughout the years when to do that and when not to do that I can be right about something but if it's from the wrong perspective Mm -hmm. um, with the wrong intentions if I'm looking to harm with the right they're not going to hear you that's not on them, it's on you Um, but still you're going to have to learn to be true to you when it comes to Christian development community development it takes time (laughs) <laughs> um, when it came to redlining being a, a legal thing and to explain redlining, I believe it was either it was FDR's time of redeveloping America. And there was a bill that came from the United States government about developing the cities all over again. And these developers drew literal red lines around the maps of certain cities. These red lines were predominantly black communities. These were the places where you didn't have to develop. So in Chicago, um, that's how you get the historic Bronzeville. Mm-hmm. Bronzeville was a black community. But Hyde Park, rich Hyde Park to the south, had redevelopment. Woodlawn had redevelopment. South Shore had redevelopment. Uh, where we, uh, the west side of Chicago, in the 50s and 60s was a Jewish community. There was development there. The Austin community up until the 70s still had a really um, big size of, of white Americans there. 
There was redevelopment over there, north side. It was, so in all of these cities, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee, New York City, all of these places, they, they were redlined. And these were bills that were passed in the 1930s. Here we are in 2021 having a fight with redline. Uh, redlining that still ex- uh, that existed, the new version of that is gentrification. Mm-hmm. Those who um, of a higher economic status who use um, their opportunity to come into disinvested neighborhoods and take advantage of the disinvestment. Uh, June 8th, so funny that today is the day um, I made a Facebook post two years ago talking about gentrification, um, giving a really simple watered-down definition saying that the difference in gentrification is subtle, though the impact is great. It's a difference of two statements. One is, I found a great place to live. Mm-hmm. The other is, I found a great community to live in. Hmm. Somebody who's looking to find a place, a really cheap place, where they can fix up and put their money into it, Yeah, they are looking to create a community within a community. Mm-hmm. But those who found a great community to live in are looking to be a part of something that existed already. That's good. Um, and I, I love when it reminds me on Facebook. I was like, oh, I don't know what it was, but like God gave me an idea, <laughs> gave me an idea that day. Um, it's hard to fight these uh, systemic issues when mm-hmm. it comes to community development. The school-to-prison pipeline, kids who are at a certain reading level and certain grade scale, if they trek in this area from grammar school through high school, uh, there is a pipeline, quote unquote, that will lead them straight to prison. Mm-hmm. It's not a you know real pipeline, but it's something that we've literally seen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's real. Like a lot of people who uh, are in prison had these same grades and stuff like this within school, um, and they end up in prison. It's so. Yeah. I think I forgot what. I think it was called just like Thirteenth on Netflix. Oh, the Thirteenth. Yep. That I think they have a really good explanation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If, you're not familiar or just need a refresher or I, I had some knowledge, but it had so much information in there. I thought it would, it gave a pretty good overview mm-hmm. of, of that. If you're interested in learning more. Yeah. Um, directed by Ava, uh, Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. I believe it was 2013 when she came out with a documentary, uh, 13th so talks about the 13th amendment. The first article or first clause talks about the abolishment of enslaved uh, people. But then there's a, the, the second half of the second clause of it that, that says everything but imprisonment. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, legally, prison is legal slavery. Um, according to the 13th Amendment, that's something that I made up, but that's, that's how it is. What it, that's what it looks like. So mm-hmm. when you're finding these systemic issues, redlining, uh, school to prison pipeline, um, the economic disparities within within our nation when it comes to the majority of minority cultures. Uh, the Department of Justice did a study, I believe in 2015, that saw that the Chicago Police Department is one of the most corrupt police departments in the nation um, as far as their uh, practices when it comes to false arrest and all, and, and, and all these different things. So when you're a part of a community that's living under the thumb of the Chicago Police Department, where you can get pulled over for whatever whatever reason. When, when you're fighting all of these things, it seems like, God, Lee, how am I going to get out of this? You know, right. how, how, how can how can you find hope in this? Um, man, um, to quote Sam Cooke, when, when will change come? 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he said, change is going to come. We've seen it before. Um, you, I talk about history. Um, s- during the days of slavery, man, how in the world can we get out of this? Mm-hmm. You have proponents like Sojourner Truth and John Brown, um, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, who were prominent figures in abolition. Eventually, we got out of slavery. Then we endured Jim Crow and separate but equal. How are we going to get out of that where we can't even drink out of St. Water Fountains? Mm-hmm. Our houses, we deal with slumlords. We can't even get a fair wage because I'm black. They're white. I can't even get hired from this for this job because I'm black. They're white. I can't live in this specific neighborhood because I'm black. All of these different things. We made it through to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. We're not just in Bronzeville in Chicago, in Chicago anymore. We're in Bronzeville. We're in Hyde Park. We're in Woodlawn. We're in South, South Chicago. Some of us live in Streeterville. Some of us live in Lincoln Park. All of these different neighborhoods. We've made it through that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get through this. The, the time will come. And when it comes to community uh, development, fighting the myth that it's we can't do it yes we can si se puede yes yes we can <laughs> we can do it obama ain't the first person that thought about yes we can <laughs> uh but we we can it's going to take patience it's going to take determination um it's going to take drive it's going to take being purposeful it's going to take strategic moves mm-hmm. opening up coffee shops and businesses and such where we're not just looking to make a dollar mm-hmm. we want to have impact on our neighborhood for the good not for something that's just a turnaround for us to make money and build our own vats, but um, something that years later, the community is feeding off of this. This is a, a success because the community thrives off of this place being here. Yeah, and I love that idea of, like, when you were talking about the employees, like, kids will be like, oh, I, w- I worked there last year. You, mm-hmm. you should go there. Now I'm, like, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. like moving on up, doing something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I like that idea. Yeah, so it's 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 those things. It's th- that's us being strategic. We're, we might not be doing it in this area, but we're doing it in, in that area now. And some may think it's difficult in, in, a, in a very specific way that I'm, I'm black. My wife is Hispanic. Hispanic people have they know the struggles that black people have they've gone through their own Mm -hmm. Um, again my my wife is first generation American that that title should you say has its own connotation behind it has its own history behind it Mm -hmm. my my wife knows and we share a lot of passions that would bring that is something that brings us together and we have a lot of like ideas and, and strategies and such so Christian development be you be the person God has made you to be. Community development, stay in it. Mm-hmm. Stay, stay in it. You, you mentioned a phrase uh, earlier. You may not know it now, but you'll see it in heaven. Mm-hmm. We may not see it now. I, I may, I'm 28. I may work whatever, however many years of time that God gives me here on earth. I may not see it now. It'll come. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Dr. King didn't see this. The fact that you and I are sitting at the same table having a conversation. He saw it in a vision, but did he see it really in his day? It was foreign. Yeah. Like, it was against the law in some places, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, so it, it'll come. It'll come. God is faithful. That's so true. Yeah. Thank 
you listeners so much for joining us each week as you listen to our awesome guests come on and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. I am so humbled and honored that you would choose to download and listen to these conversations every other week. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for you. Could you do me a favor? If you've not already, can you subscribe to the podcast in whichever podcast player app you're listening to us on today? If you're already subscribed, thank you so much, friend. I truly appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. I would love it if you could share the show with a friend. I find out about so many shows to recommendations from friends. Maybe some of you have found out about this show through a friend sharing it with you. Lastly, would you please leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player app you're listening to us on? Thank you so much. I know that these things may seem super small, subscribing, sharing the show, and leaving a rating or review, but they make a huge difference in new listeners finding the No Wrong Turns pod. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, for listening, and for cheering on the No Wrong Turns pod. Thank you for subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the show. All right, back to Anton's story. Awesome. Well, I almost don't want this conversation to end, but I have one more question yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is one that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and that is, what is fueling you today? What is fueling your passion? So this could be anything mm. from a new coffee drink, to, you know, testing out for your uh, new <laughs> enterprise, right. or maybe a new fun game that you're playing with your girls, or a new show that you guys have found on Netflix or a book or something. So. What's feeling you today? What's feeling your passions? Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned them, but I think my family, my girls are probably my main passion. They, again, are four, three, and one. And they, I just think, what, what world are they growing up in? Mm-hmm. What, what will they see? It's, I don't even know the name of their, <laughs> of their generation. What will life be like for them when they're in their 20s? Yeah what will this community that I live in and love so much, what will it look like? Will they be, <clears throat> will they be stakeholders in this community uh, or will they just be here or they move because of, you know, whatever reason it is. My grandfather and really either, even other parts of, of my family and different family members, they all came to North Lawndale. They've been there since. My grandfather came in 1969. There were some people who came even before them. I have a long lineage of being in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Part of that is not just pride of being from here, but it's like, hey, I've been here this long. Like, we should lay more than just roots of um, generational roots. Like, we should own some stuff around here. Yeah. Um, I see that for my girls. You know, mm-hmm. it might it might not be me, might not have been my mother or you know people before me, but the Atkins Woodruff clan. Like, oh, we know them from North Lawndale. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's out of the realm of imagination. Making your name known. (laughs) Making my name known. Uh, Making my name known, but now in a good sense. Yeah. Not just so Anton can get glory. Right. Uh, Making my name known so that it's it's a it's a thing that we all can have glory from. Everybody in 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 North London, everybody in this neighborhood, where um, we we don't have to go out no more. I can just go to the store over here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which restaurant do you want to sit down at? Yeah, not the restaurant. Yeah, not the restaurant. Hey, come over to my house. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the one that I rent, the one that I own. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I didn't even, I didn't know anybody who had a house with like a second floor that was attached to the first floor. 
Like mm. you just walk upstairs, like in the same place. That was on TV to me. Yeah. For me, going up, going up and down the stairs were two completely different apartments. I grew up on the second floor. My grandparents lived on the first floor. Above my grandparents was, was my aunt. That was two different houses. Mm-hmm. We can have that in over here. Yeah. Why not? Oh, there there are no dilapidated buildings over here. And if it is because it's hollowed out because somebody just bought it and they want to build the house that they want inside of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think about that for my girls. And we earlier talked about things being normal. Why can't that be normal for them? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to look on TV and see those things? Yeah. Um, TV just mimics life anyway. It mimics a version of reality, but whose reality? Why mm-hmm. can't it be my girls? Why can't it be mine? Um, they, they are my, they're my fuel. They're the, they're the ones that I, I, I do this for. I, what I want to see, my, myself included, like I, I think I want God to use me. I, I think he is. I think he will continue mm-hmm. uh, to do that. I, I want to see those things in my life. They're normal to me now. I've been to those homes. I've um, I've seen nice restaurants, you know, whether mm-hmm. I pay for it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Um I've been around people who, oh, my house is a million dollars. I've stepped in the, into those. I could never fathom that idea as a child. Mm-hmm. I can, been, I've been next to people who can write you a $1,000 check. Just like, like you don't have to check the bank first? Yeah. Like, you just write it? Like, like oh, okay. I've been next to people with healthy relationships with their mother and their father and their siblings, you know. I, I've, been, I've been around that. I, I want that to be more of a normal not just for me to go somewhere and see it, but I want to see it when I wake up and walk outside. You know, our world isn't perfect, so you know, of course, there that just won't happen. I I can't make that happen. Mm-hmm. We live in a fallen world, but I, I want that to be a normal thing. I want that to be something for my kids. Starts with me, mm-hmm. keeping my relationship with my wife happy. I mean, excuse me, not happy, but healthy. <laughs> wow, Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> happy and healthy. Uh, happy and healthy. There we go. Cheerios. Um, <laughs> Uh, keeping that relationship uh, healthy with my wife, my my family, my friends, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, they're 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 my main motivation. Uh, a world in which one that as my girls as children and Anton as kids as a child, my my girls saw and knew something that I did. Uh, that's an advancement for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're the ones little little Lily, little Leah, and little Lucia the else awesome yeah well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your passions and your story um it has been awesome just to hear from you and um just kind of learn from you as well so thank you so much yeah thank you so much um it's a pleasure being here sharing um no wrong turns pod (laughs) this is a podcast yes indeed Friends, this was an amazing conversation with Anton. In addition to Anton telling us his story about his passions, he also dropped so many quote gems and history facts. One quote that has stuck with me from this conversation was when Anton said, Christian development, be you. Be the person God has made you to be. Community development, stay in it. I may not see, not see it now, but it will come. I love how this quote embodies and connects these two ideas of Christian development and community development, his two passions, the idea that God made you to be you, and how community development is a long process and maybe that's maybe something that you might not even see in your lifetime. 
I hope that we are all encouraged today from Anton's story and his passions. My prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. See the show notes for our music credits. All right, enjoy your week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And I will see you back here next time with Emily Aborn. She is a content writer and owner of She Built This Group. Emily helps businesses elevate their messaging and find their voice and reach their goals. Hey friends, you have just listened to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Quinn Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host. I am so happy that you are here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are bringing new shows every other Tuesday and we always have on some awesome and amazing guests to chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Arctic Hunter on your podcast player app so that you will never miss an episode. See you next time.